0: So a little bit of a deeper investigation shows that in order to reach high high levels of health and well-being, you have to do more than diet and fitness.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Learner's Podcast. I'm Will Richardson, your host, and this week it gives me great pleasure to welcome two of the most important cogs of the Modern Learner's team to our podcast, Missy Emler and Lynn Hilt take over this week for podcast episode number 46. And the good news is, for those of you who listen regularly, and thank you if you do, that their voices will be heard more frequently on our podcasting episodes, so you don't have to listen to me and Bruce droning on about education every other week or so. So you can look forward to that, and I'm excited to share with you this episode because this is Refresh, Renew, and Reflect Month in our Modern Learners community. And so to honor that, we are welcoming Dr. Joyce Young, who is the Managing Director of Advanced Wellness Systems, and Liza Engstrom of the High Health Network, For a month-long conversation on the seven essential skills needed for high health and well-being, specifically geared toward educators in the community, and in this podcast, Missy and Lynn get Joyce and Liza to go deep into the need for mental and physical wellness for teachers and school leaders, and they tease out some great starting points for recharging the batteries, whether you're still in school or you're on summer vacation, and i know you're going to enjoy it now don't forget if you haven't checked out mlc as we like to call it you can head over to modernlearners.com mlc and get all the details on our growing community of leaders and educators worldwide who are engaging in some pretty high level and thoughtful and interesting conversations about the world of education it's great ongoing online professional learning and i hope you take the time to check us out and maybe even join us down the road. And if you haven't checked out the schedule for our new Modern Learners Labs, just go to modernlearners.com labs. We're actually bringing face-to-face events to Chicago. We'll be there next week. And we're coming to Perth, Australia, Christchurch and Auckland, New Zealand in August 2018. And we'd love to have you and your friends join us. You can just check out all the details and see all of our sessions and sign up and register right from those pages. And don't forget, if you like what you hear today on the podcast, we'd love it if you tell your friends and also give us a like over at iTunes and maybe even a review if you want to do that. But enough reminders, enough from me. You know you want to hear from Missy and Lynn, so let's get right to this great conversation about educator health and wellness with them and Joyce and Liza. Enjoy, everyone.
2: Hello everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Modern Learners podcast. Guess what? This is Missy Yemler and I have Lynn Hilt with me. And we are part of the Modern Learners team, but we are taking over the podcast this week and we are super excited about that. Hi, Lynn.
3: Hi, Missy. I'm happy to be here in our debut podcast, hoping to bring lots of uh, great information to, to our listeners and our supporters.
2: Absolutely. I, I hope we live up to Will and Bruce's expectations, but you know what? <laughs> I, think the story is, I think we might surpass them. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell all your friends because we can to beat them in the listener download count right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> No, on a serious note, we are super excited because we have Liz and Joyce, Liza and Joyce from the High Health Network with us as we kick off our theme for Modern Learners Community this week. And Lynn, do you want to tell us a little bit about the theme, and then introduce Liza and Joyce?
3: Absolutely. So we, in Modern Learners Community, are going to start focusing our topics of conversation and sharing around central themes every month. And we decided to go with a theme uh, that represented rejuvenation for the month of July. We are talking about refreshing, renewing, and reflecting in july 2018 and we have some key questions that we are discussing throughout the community and it was the perfect opportunity to partner with joyce and liza um, because they are experts in the field um, in the the healthcare field health industries health and human services Um, and from an educational perspective What we found even, it's only what, July 5th? That this has been such a hot topic so far inside the community. People are really looking for support in this area. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast and you're new to the modern learners community, we talk about everything from inquiry to student agency, learner agency, a lot of leadership essentials all around the modern learning lens. Um, and this is something, teacher wellness, educator wellness, leadership wellness, that. Sometimes falls to the to the wayside when we 're so focused on change initiatives and leading um, leading learning, so that 's why it 's really important for us to bring this to our community and we 're really thrilled to have Joyce and Liza with us um,
2: before you introduce them, Lynn. I just remember. Um, part of the reason we decided to start with this particular theme this month was we saw a little bit of a Twitter debate going on and um, regarding how people frame what teachers should do or educators should do in their summer and their sort of time off. And there was some debate about the importance of giving people in education the permission to sort of step back and reflect and refresh and renew. And so right. it was sort of that that triggered, um, it was sort of the divisive nature of that Twitter stream that sort of made us think that we needed to really focus on that for July um, and really meet people where they are and still help them learn. So. Right.
3: Perfect, that's how it came to be. Go ahead, Lynn, and let us know who's with us. And we know too, we have a, an international community and in that um, not everyone is experiencing what here in the U.S. we're typically on a summer break or you know a summer holiday. But um, I think something that Joyce and Liza are going to share are, is the importance of paying attention to this, not just during your break times, but every single day uh, as you live and making it a priority. So I think that's really important. So I'll introduce our guest, Dr. Joyce Young. She is the Managing Director of Advanced Wellness Systems. And if For those of you unfamiliar with that organization, it is dedicated to supporting leaders who want um, to bring real health uh, support to their employees, to their companies. She has over 15 years of experience developing, implementing, evaluating, and consulting on employee health and wellness programs. And um, Dr. Young is a board-certified general preventive medicine and public health um, practitioner, and she's the author of many publications on wellness program design and and the outcomes of those. Um, and Liza uh, Ernstrom is here from the High Health Network. She oversees uh, and supports advanced wellness systems in their continuous search for new knowledge and applicable research findings. Um, she has experience planning, implementing, and evaluating health interventions. She has been a classroom teacher abroad, uh, a guest health teacher in California and North Carolina, and she is a, what this is very interesting to me, a uh-huh. laugh a laughter yoga instructor which just makes me smile just saying it even though i get very um you know nervous about the whole idea of performing yoga moves correctly. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, So both of these um, women have been leaders in the field. We're very happy to feature their work here and to to help their expertise come to our members and modern learners community. So thank you both for joining us. uh, And I'm excited. We're excited to talk with you.
2: So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about what the biggest misconceptions in health and wellness programs for employees might be that you are working to change?
0: Missy, thanks for asking because you basically have summarized the reason for advanced wellness systems coming into being. Um, We we have years of experience between Liza and myself, me more than Liza, uh, and then we have a panel of experts that we work with um and all of us have been in the field for a few decades put it that way and one of the things that we've noticed especially in our data when we look at our research and our data is that for the efforts that we put forth the level of health that we're looking for and by health we mean energy and stamina and resilience and you know the ability to navigate life on your own terms really um just doesn't come through the numbers so a little bit of a deeper investigation shows that in order to reach higher high levels of health and well-being you have to do more than diet and fitness and basically our notions of um wellness and health is that you should eat right and you should exercise absolutely that in of itself will not deliver you now let me be clear eating right and exercising right being whatever definition you want to give it to give to it um is useful so i please stop, please don't stop eating right and right by your terms and exercising. So I'm not saying that. But if you really want to be able to achieve higher levels and be at your peak, um, then you've got to do more than that. And you also have to do things that are in the non-physical arena. We think about health really as physical, but the reality is, is the broader aspect of health includes both the mental, the emotional, life direction, and purpose, and then, of course, some of the physical things that we're all familiar with. So, I think that would summarize uh, I think basically just a misconceptual approach to well-being and we use well-being because it's a broader term wellness in some sense is um, overlaps with well-being but i really like well-being because it's a broader term and it encompasses the idea that it's more than just physical activity and um, nutrition related act uh, nutrition related uh, techniques and methods
3: Uh, when we chatted prior to this conversation I reflected on some of the wellness efforts that I've seen schools particularly undergo, and it almost always deals with the, with the physical um, wellness. With, um, and I do see a trend towards more schools acknowledging the need to support teachers' uh, wellness. So I would love to see that emerge into, as you said, uh, that focus on well-being beyond the physical wellness. And I think that's something that our members particularly are curious about. Um, You had shared a a question kind of for our community to mull over in our first week um, asking how confident are you in your ability to restore and renew energy during the school year. And uh, I'm not sure if you've been able to peek at the results yet, but we ran this in a hot versus cold <laughs> kind of continuum of a question questionnaire. And it looks like, and Missy, I was kind of encouraged by this actually, because of the votes that we have so far, it appears most are hanging around in the middle, but more toward the end. Of they are able to be confident in themselves to restore and their, renew their energy during the school year, um, which is that makes me feel good for, for the people that we have and that we're serving. Um, and then this morning, I addressed the idea of resilience in the community. And when um, some commenters came in, they asked, you know, as a school leader, what can I do? You know, I, I want to make sure that um, my teacher's stress is reduced, uh, that I'm doing things to help them be resilient. Um, and, you know, a couple people asked specifically, what are some steps I should take? What are some things I can do? Because we know it's important, but we're not really sure how to do it or, or what that looks like from a leadership perspective. Um, and I know that your um, organization has developed seven essential skills for real health that are skills that every, everyone, when they embrace them, um, are really looking toward that whole piece of, of the well-being. Can you talk to us about those, those skills and then we can talk a little bit about application in terms of how we can support those in schools? Absolutely. And uh, yes, we call it the seven essential
0: skills for real health. Thank you for using that term. Real health to us is synonymous with high health and well-being, and the more we use the term, the more people will understand what it means. So I go back and forth between real health and high health and well-being. And the seven essential skills are needed in order to achieve that so the first one is a growth mindset for um, real health meaning you understand that you have some abilities as an individual to enhance your health and well-being and to a certain extent are willing to learn and build on those uh, abilities the second one in the list I mean is there's no order necessarily but a second one would be restoring mental um, and mental attention and uh, focus now no surprise to you all that um, in today's environment, there's a lot of um, uh, distorted <laughs> attention and uh, mental focus, distraction, as Liza said. I mean, that's very, very, very common. It's hard to function and function well and feel energetic when you're distracted. And that's kind of our everyday life right now. So you basically, people need to learn a skill in order to be able to do that. A third one is life direction and purpose. Just having a general understanding of what is meaningful to you and why and how that. Um, helps you make decisions and priorities and um, um, find fulfillment really and interestingly enough there is a research and data relationship between people who have a sense of purpose and life direction and their overall health status the fourth one is emotional and mental well-being now you know emotional composure we have constant change it's very easy to lose it and being able to have some composure and work through negativity and the other things that we deal with on a regular basis. And there there are um, scientifically based techniques and methods that people can use to build those kinds of things. Um, The next one I think is the uh, fifth one. Am I at number five? Uh, Anyway, um, I'm I'm losing count on that, but another one is what we call balance and agility, and that is the ability to move well. We spend a lot of time sitting, we spend a lot of time in cars, we spend a lot of time in static positions. And that um, does what we call um, energy leaks. We have you basically are leaking energy um, built up a lot of muscle tension contributes to lots of musculoskeletal conditions and everybody we know has some kind of muscle skeletal challenge. And having um, good movement patterns and balance and agility really supports that um, nutrient rich eating. So what we really advocate on nutrition is eating nutrient rich foods, nutrient rich foods fall into the category of vegetables and fruits for the most part. Now you can look at any kind of um, nutritional and envir- um, diet or nutritional nutritional advice out there and stack them all up, which is what we did. We looked at all of them and we said, what do they have in common. And what they have in common, except for, you know, some of the popcorn diets and those kinds of things, but what they have in common is a high recommendation for high consumption of vegetables and fruits. So we really advocate that vegetables um, have, uh, in many cases, more nutritional richness density and richness than fruits, because fruits do have some associated sugars with them. Um, And basically, that's it. That's our nutritional information. So no matter what program you're on, if you add vegetables and fruits, you're gonna get a boost on that. Um, another one that is, a seven essential, is part of the seven essential skills is the capacity to deal with high demand situations. And this aligns nicely with this topic because the capacity to build with high demand situations is a reflection of your ability to step up and work at a high demand and then build in purposeful recovery. And that builds the capacity to step up to high demand um, situations. Now, the way we do that is through cardiovascular conditioning. And we, our methodology is in incorporating brief bouts of high intensity physical exercise within whatever you do. But what you're basically doing is learning and training yourself how to step up when you need to have high um, energy and high demand and how to recover. So it's a relationship between demand and recovery. And the science behind that is that if you are not good at your restoration, your recovery, your renewing, you won't be as good at um, being able to deal with high demand and having good performance. So we didn't make this up. It's all based on um, research and on uh, the the input that we get from our expert panel um, that has shown over the years that people who are able to do that, particularly athletes who they study so closely, are just much more successful. Those same techniques and methods can be applied to non-athletes, which is you and me. And that's what we do. We break them down into simple steps that anybody can use and use and incorporate in their regular routine to be able to, um, to be able to navigate well and achieve the real help that we've been uh, talking about in today's demanding environment. And did I get all seven lines on uh, this yeah. one? Okay, all right. That was off did my memory. Did you do balance and
4: agility? A balance
0: and agility. Yeah, we talked about movement patterns, yeah, muscle yeah. tension, yeah. and those kinds of things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I find the um, the essential skill regarding recovery, which you just sort of talked about, extremely intriguing, because I think that that's something, even in myself, I notice, you know, we have a big project to do. I used to have several board meetings where I was... Trying to convince them that we needed to spend money in this way or in that way, Um, or potential conflict situations that might deal with maybe parent and teacher conflicts that I tried to facilitate through. And some of those were extremely stressful situations. And a lot of times in my role as a principal, I didn't have enough time to recover from one before I was on to the next. And I felt like it just. Um, depleted me. And so some of my recovery um, happened when I was at home with my own kids. And then I took away from them um, more than I really wanted to. And I found that to be that to add to my stress. So is there, can you just give us one glimpse of what one might do to recover from some of those high stress, high, you know, friction moments that might become more of a habit?
0: We have a number of um, approaches to recovery, so there's daily recovery, there's weekly recovery, and then there's longer recovery, and I think the idea of daily recovery is something that we just have to build in because we have this idea and pattern that we're going to just go through the day and like if you look at your calendar, it's meetings back to back to back, right? Well, okay, there's no daily recovery there, not, not much. Anyway, one of the um, things that we advocate for good meeting hygiene, I'm gonna use that term, is to not have meetings more than 90 minutes without a break. Sometimes you have these long meetings and then you run from one meeting to the other, you haven't had a break. And a break could be you know, five minutes, It could be less than that. It could be even three minutes. Sometimes in long meetings, you can build in a little bit of movement. We actually have a little movement routine that you can do even during the meeting stand up and go through this uh, movement routine. It is refreshing. So taking some of those breaks uh, throughout the day. Another thing for recovery is um, Eating foods that build energy. So a lot of the snacks that we eat actually don't build energy. They're quite depleting.
2: I, I shouldn't have my Diet Coke after
0: those stressful meetings
2: because I'm serious. I do that. I'm like, oh, that was crazy. I'm going to grab my Diet Coke to get through that moment.
0: Tell me. You're right. Not- um, and unfortunate, unfortunately, when you do that, you're draining energy, not building it really, I'm working on that. Okay, good. So um, so you can recover from, you can use us, you can use movement to recover, you can use breaks to recover, you can use hydration to recover. Breathing is huge, okay, really huge, because the breathing influences the nature of the nervous system, all right, so for instance, when you breathe in, if you take a deep breath in, you're basically revving up um, your part of your nervous system, the parasympathetic. So I don't wanna to get too you know, technical. But anyway, you're revving that up. Exhaling though, is revving up your, um, the other half of the nervous system that is more relaxing. So something that is really, really simple that you all can test for yourself. If you breathe in shorter than you breathe out, All right. You can count. So breathe in one, two, three, breathe out one, two, three, four, five. All right. Just that breathing alone is restorative and will help you to uh, recover in a very, very short period of time. So you can spend a minute. We use timers all the time because we're always timing stuff. So set your timer for a minute and it's called ANS breathing. That's the like, you know, apple nancy um, school ans breathing that's what it's called and just that simple thing if you do that for a minute you're gonna feel more refreshed if you do that for two minutes you're gonna feel a lot more refreshed. if you do it for three minutes and so on so just those simple things you can do and we have other things but you know I can't take up the whole podcast on that but uh, just those simple things will will allow you to be refreshed And you can set a goal for yourself to do one or two, three recoveries during the day, okay? Don't wait till you get home. Um, I'm going to tell you a personal approach that I took and sometimes still do. Um, I always took a nap before I went home (laughs) because, you know, there's work and then there's home. Okay, so uh, I would take a nap. I had an office that had a sofa in it. So before I go home, I would take a 20-minute nap on my sofa. And then when I got home, I was in so much better shape you know, to be able to interface with what was going on at home. Lost the office, lost the sofa. I'll sleep in my car. Because I, mean, I know I've got to get regrouped before I get home. So I may sit in the car, put my head back, take a nap. But usually the car is parked. Not always, but um, usually <laughs> i usually park, and um, I because I, I know it's going to make a huge, huge, huge difference in how my evening goes and how the next day goes. So there are just so many things to do. The most important thing is to do them.
4: Yeah, yeah and I would I would also say that we're going to definitely be um, promoting different practices in the first week that are really restorative. And for yeah. me, um, Joyce didn't mention that nature is you know has so many restorative uh, attributes and and that's something that i use a lot that i use a lot and um you know just taking a break and either either looking out the window at the tree that's outside or even on your computer a picture of nature um, or taking a walk a two-minute walk outside and just looking around and i think you know joyce and i were talking earlier that i think it's a really important point uh, uh, I think mean, you said a lot of important things that I wish I could be, we create right now, but uh, you know, recovery isn't just about taking a break and then being on your phone or, or <laughs> continuing to engage in something else, right? Like it really is unplugging and doing this activity, be it breathing or being outside and not having those distractions continually you know, draining you of energy.
0: Well, you could think of it as micro restoration. And that might sort of remind you that I'm going to do this for you know, a few minutes, but it's still restorative. And those minutes um, add up. So if you consider that maybe you're going to do 10 minutes of recovery in a day, two minutes at a time, you are going to feel better than if you didn't do those. And you'll also perform better because you'll be able to gain your emotional composure. And when you go into that next meeting, you'll be more composed. That meeting is going to go better. And it actually won't be as depleting. So it, it pays in terms of just being able to recover. But it also pays in terms of being able to be more effective in ways that aren't so depleting.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I think what's really interesting, as I listen to the two of you talk about different practices that really lead to a stronger well-being, um, the thing that's resonating is that different things work for different people. You know, there's lots of books about meditation and mindful eating and uh, finding work-life balance, all of those. There's there's tons of work out there. But I think what's important for school leaders to um, bring to their environment is that variety and working um, within the environment to sort of introduce and expose people to the variety of ways that individuals can find wellness and well-being, And then my next question, I guess, is a result of that. Do you think that these practices transcend um, and can transcend from um, to people of all ages? So are these things just as beneficial for our students throughout the day as they are for our
4: leaders? Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, it just, Uh, you know, an example, I have a five-month-old and he stops crying when I take him outside, right? So that's a quite a range of ages where, you know, nature has restorative effects. But I think, you know, beyond that, it is really important first for educators and administrators to really master these skills for themselves before they try to You know, implement it in a classroom setting with students. That being said, there's little things obviously that, you know, translate very easily, such as contact with nature and and, um, You know, different physical activities and and mindfulness, which I know is is starting to be a a really big thing for schools that are trying to promote mindfulness with their students and as a way to um, Negotiate conflicts. So I I think, yes, these practices can be used in All for all ages and all environments, but it is important to first kind of, you know, as we've been talking about work on yourself and master them before trying to, you know, put them out there for other people.
0: Right. You know, we, we have a big focus on mastery because once you put in the effort, um, the time, the attention, the practice and master things, your insights are just much more deeper. Um, And so we really encourage people to focus on mastery. Now, you know, The reality is, and we see this in our comments all the time, when you begin doing things, people in your community actually notice. So they'll say, oh, so-and-so's calmer. Oh, you know, we started uh, eating more nutrients in our meals and our whole family is better. We get this in our comments. So some of this goes, um, translates out even unintentionally. We call it a collateral benefit. So things will happen, but we do want to encourage people to not lose sight of the need to actually master the practice you know, and I imagine this syncs with some educational theory okay, before you know, you're beginning to try to translate that to others. Um, and then the other point I was going to make about the practices that we have in our seven essential skills, they, they are primarily uh, organized and designed for adults, particularly like the balance and agility. So some of the things that we would do for adults, might, we might not do for the younger people because they just have different needs around movement. Same thing with some of the um, high intensity physical activity, we might would, um, would deploy that differently for different groups. But the bottom line is, is the types of things that we're recommending are really beneficial um, to almost anyone.
3: And I like that that um, emphasis on that commitment to self before trying to bring this to an organization, although I think everyone who's either a teacher leading students or a leader, a school leader leading teachers wants to bring this to their to their organization as soon as possible as quickly as possible, um, but without having that commitment to your own well-being and understanding the practices and the the reasons why this is so important and really and this was a great comment made by one of our community members examining the structures that are in place in our schools. Why are teachers feeling so stressed beyond beyond the normal types of stress that certainly someone in a teacher's role would have because of the great enormity of their role, right? Um, is there, are there external things that my leadership or our school schedule or the organization itself, are, are there things that are causing undue stresses to my staff? Are there things that I can immediately begin to look at to remove so that when we all become committed to our our wellness initiatives, they'll just be so much more beneficial? So I think that's one thing too that we have to keep in mind as educational leaders, as principals, as superintendents, what, what structures are in place, what mandates, what policies, what things are my teachers experiencing that are causing them maybe stress that's above and beyond what a typical, you know, employment type of stress might, might be. And same with our children and same with our families in our, or in our district. Um, what are the things that they need outside of school that we can help give them, um, and help, um, Prepare them for a life of, of better wellness, and it certainly varies among organizations. What what one district needs is not going to be the same as the district next door. Um, so it just go it really goes back to knowing your people and and listening and hearing them from you know all stakeholder levels, uh, and then as you said, modeling that as a leader, the the importance of it. Um, and I do think too that, and Missy will speak to this, when, when we were principals and we were having a good day, people noticed, it, people noticed it and they'd say, oh, you seem very cheerful today. You're not like your usual drained, <laughs> sad self. Uh, yeah, Lynn, let, um, let me just
0: build on a couple of points you made. Um, one of the um, uh, subject matter experts that we work with, his name is Daniel Retschaffen, and he's out in Berkeley, California, of course. His, all of his work is on uh, mindfulness, mindfulness and education. And we actually learned quite a bit from him that applies to the business context, which is where we focus. Um, but at the same time, he's doing more and more and more. In fact, we were afraid he's going to get too busy for us to, uh, because he's doing so much. He has a lot of initiatives going on uh, for education. And one of the things he says is, is that when he first started, he was teaching mindfulness to the students, and he realized that that wasn't going to work. He had to teach mindfulness to the teachers. Yeah. And uh, he's written a book, and they have a number of things to do. So he's one of our panel members that you can look into some of his work if you want to. Um, the other point I would make is something that I learned in my consulting work, is I would see different organizations really struggling and wrestling with just, you know, how do we get at this, and what do we do? And then they would come up with a game plan that was difficult to, um, Administer and just made it hard and they basically kind of got discouraged and said, oh, you know, let's give up because this field of well-being seems simple, but it's not. It's not easy. Okay, so you say, yeah, definitely. I'm going to stop drinking this and I'm going to eat more of that and I'm going to take breaks. So in in, in theory, it seems like something that anyone can do. In practice, you can't. And I really encourage organizations to use their energies more Um, productively for themselves, tap into folks who've done this work. There's not a lot of us out there, but there are some. But tap into people who've done the work and learn from their experience so that you don't have to keep recreating the wheel and becoming so discouraged. I see lots of people getting discouraged with their organizational efforts. And, you know, I tell people when they're beginning, if you can get good input, you will save yourself huge amounts of headaches. You'll be much more successful and your investment will go a lot further. So I'm not trying to sell business or anything, but I am trying to suggest that um, you can save yourself a lot by tapping into uh, some of the knowledge base that's out there and being able to apply that to your situation.
2: I think that there is a feeling of hopelessness in our um, in the field of education because there are so many outside, influences on that and whether that be standardized testing or any number of things that are contributing to that outside pressures on the work and so the that's and it's the outside pressures that make us want to bring this theme to light within side of our community so do you have any like suggestions about how to acknowledge those outside pressures but really concentrate on the self and our, and our own abilities to have a high level of well-being despite what's happening in the context outside of here.
4: Yeah, those those outside pressures and those outside, um, you know, influences are absolutely real and, and important to acknowledge. But if we're going to be able to address them creatively, uh, then we really need to build our own capacity first. So, I mean, a lot of what we're doing and a lot of the practices that we promote are about, you know, cultivating this creativity and so that we can actually think outside the box in order to make the changes necessary to address those systemic issues. Yeah, um,
0: I'll just build on what Liza said. Thank you, Liza, for saying that. Uh, Because what we see and what we advocate is if people have the, we call them practices, but they have the routines that support their own well-being. their ability to navigate all these minefields is much better. Now, we don't necessarily say that if you do these, you'll have a magic wand and you can make it all go away. But what you can do though, and we've seen this over and over again, what you can do is you can interface with it in a way that one is not so so depleting and, and, and draining And you can do some restoration so that if it is depleting and draining, you can, you know, build up on that. Um, And Liza touched on a hugely important point. One of the things that is not measured easily or often is the notion of creativity and um, innovation. So in lots of situations that we're all in, we're not thinking in a real creative way because we don't really know how to when you do restoration and one of the huge benefits of spending time with nature is it improves the brain processing and allows for creativity and innovation. So some of these, you know, techniques, which seem to be rather um, innocuous are actually quite powerful. And one of my favorite articles on this is in Liza's um, Curriculum is called rest is not idleness, where they talk about the role of rest and learning and the role of rest and brain processes. They're talking about learning in this article, but it applies to adults as well. So, you know, our practices are deceptively simple. But once you begin to do them and make them your own, your ability to navigate the world just gets a lot better on all fronts and We like to work with organizations because the more people in the organizations who have that ability, the more the organization can be transformed.
3: And so just to kind of wrap up this conversation, our initial conversation, um, throughout the next month, Joyce and Lysar are going to be sharing with our community some really important Um, sort of a mini course of sorts where we get to really work through these topics uh, so our leaders and and learners can start to embrace this uh, for themselves. Our focus questions for the month are how do we honor and promote educator wellness? How do we help change agents develop necessary emotional endurance, which we've talked about um, at length because of our um, our. Uh, our desire to bring change to school um, is such an emotionally laden process where when we talk about with Will and Bruce and Missy, this need to shift focus um, to bring more learner agency into classrooms and to kind of uproot the system as it currently is and do, um, you know, differently for kids. What comes along with that is this kind of sense of loss uh, on a lot of levels for teachers who have have identified themselves as, as the teacher, the holder of knowledge, and how their role is going to change if this shifts. And um, it's, it's a very difficult emotional journey for change agents in particular. So we're gonna take a look at that as well. Um, and also talk about this month, how we really prioritize reflection in learning as an important um, part of the process, if not one of the most important. So um, if, Missy, do you have any other well, closing I- notes?
2: Well, I just want to say that if you're listening and you've been thinking about joining us in the modern learners community, we would highly encourage you to join us for this month's activities um, and insights with High Health Network, because we really want to support you as individuals in your learning journey and in helping you reach your high level of well-being, but also to prep you for doing some of the work that we talk about all of the other months in Modern Learners. Um, we'll be having several themes going forward, but this work, this work on yourself, is work that will help it help you do the right thing in your classrooms and in your schools throughout the rest of the year. So if you need if you'd like to join us, go to Modern Learners dot com slash mlc modern slash mlc and you can just click to join us and you'll be able to see liza and joyce inside the community as well as lynn and myself will and bruce are in there too so we would love to chat with you um, inside the community um, and they'll be there to chat with you more directly as well
4: yeah we're really looking forward to uh, this next these next four weeks of um you know each week we're going to be putting not only just conversation starters and articles, but really trying to focus on the practice as well. So I think, you know, discussion is great, but I think it'll be really valuable for people to put it into action. So I'm looking forward to it and I I hope you can all join me.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Liza and Joyce.
3: Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.